Well, off the weekend for the first time in 2023, we say welcome into the Fight Freaks Unite Recap Podcast. I am merely the somewhat capable, somewhat discombobulated, there's a new word, host of the program, TJ Reeves. He is our insider, our uh, content partner, the guy that was OL on location, as I like to say, at the Capital One Arena for this Gervonta Davis pay-per-view. Hello, Dan Rayfield. Good to be back with you off the weekend that saw Davis get his win. It took a little while, like we theorized it might. Got his TKO win. That wrapped that card. We'll talk about the whole card. We'll recap the weekend. How are you? You had a, essentially a home game there to cover this thing and, and not have to get on a plane or a train and just only use your own automobile. How are you? I'm good. And by the way, it's not essentially a home game. It is a home game. I live from door to door. When you punch in the directions on the GPS, it's like 24.1 miles from my driveway to the parking garage that I was in at the uh, Capital One Arena. It takes about 40 minutes with a little bit of traffic, but it's you know it's in the it's in the neighborhood. It's it's closer to where I live than if I were to go like I often do to Union Station, which is our train station. When I go to places like New York or Philadelphia or whatever, when I've covered other fights, so I love a home game. It's been a while; hasn't been a big fight or any fight for that matter, in that particular building since uh, the last time I was in that building for a boxing event, which was Mike Tyson's final fight. Now, I've seen other things there since then, mm -hmm. uh, concerts and such, but for boxing, it's been a long time, and uh, they did such a huge crowd there. I hope they'll come back. All right, so we'll get into that. We'll get into everything about that. We got some fight news as well. Thank you for finding us, whether you found us through a social media link, whether you found us through Dan's Substack, Fight Freaks Unite, whether you found us on the Big Fight Weekend website. Thank you. Uh, thank you for doing that. Make sure you're following. Make sure you're subscribing uh, because as Dan and I often go over, then you don't have to worry about any other prompt because what are you going to get on your device? We keep sharing this with the audience. Go. You subscribe, TJ. You should know you'll get a ding, a bell, a light, a vibration, a buzz. What else? Something. And Something. I often get the buzz and I a get banner. the light. Some get the banner that tells them. Uh, whatever the case is, you will get notified just like you did here, usually off the weekend, late Sunday night, early Monday. We're here with Fight Freaks United. And we did get some feedback from a few that said, Hey, I, I didn't get the I didn't get the recap podcast off of last weekend. And uh, there wasn't a whole lot to recap, but we're back. We're in the groove. You'll get a preview, the big fight weekend preview headed into the weekend. And we pledge to give you the recap. Pipes. And you're even getting some feedback from some of your peeps of people that are finding us on the podcast, on the BetUS show, et cetera. Welcome to the party in 2023 to the peeps and the savages that are finding us. Listen, some of the folks I saw at the fight uh, Saturday night, you know, my, my boxing brethren, my ringside colleagues, uh, said to me you listen we've been listening to the podcast and we enjoy it and i'm good I was like good i'm glad don't Spend get out of line already or we'll swat you all right there's a no, lot there's a lot good. it's uh that is it's, good it's nice to hear it's good to hear and and we are growing an audience which is good but you can continue to help us share it out continue to subscribe or follow find us on the bet us show our picks weren't as great this oh, go around no, no. but we did we did all right we did, I did all right i was four and, i was four and two were you I'm and trying to recollect off the top of my head. I think I was three and three. Yes. By the way, we'll, uh, we'll get to this in a minute, but I was the one that said all along that Ennis is going over three and a half. And you were right. Good. But you also said it could be like two seconds over three and a half. Fair enough. But the, the one, the one that pissed me off, we'll get to this also is, you know, you and I both had uh Rashidi Ellis by a decision. 
right. we'll get to that conversation. We'll get to that. We'll get to that. And what I happened like we there? Were, with the, we, we was robbed on that one. Yeah, uh, Villa, Villa's upset basically with the dramatic final round. We'll get into all of that. All right. So let's kind of just go in chronology because I love this insight from you because you were there. How electric, how full was Capital One? You alluded to it, the Capital One Arena, downtown DC, Saturday night. You were there. Yeah, I mean, it was a sold-out, legit crowd. I mean, you can I can tell anybody who's had any experience of doing big arena fights, when you get there early in the show, and I was there at the first bell at like 4.30 in the afternoon. It was a long day, but enjoyable. Uh, when you get there early and you look at the upper rafters all the way in the top level, all the way up against the wall, and you see those seats are filled in, you know it's going to be a big night because those are the regular working Joes who bought their ticket, and they're like, if I spent X, Y, Z on my ticket, I'm getting all my money's worth. And they show up early, and they're there. And considering most boxing events, unfortunately, is very empty in the early going, mm -hmm. uh, not to say that it was full in the undercard, but that those sections were very full in the undercard. And uh, that meant that there was going to be a big crowd. And I wasn't surprised. I said it all along. There would be a big crowd there. Tank Davis, uh, love him, hate him, whatever. He's a bonafide star attraction he has drawn big crowds in many different american cities which is more uh than most other than any other american fighter or american base fighter right now he has sold out all over the place and so here he is fighting in washington dc one hour or so from his hometown in baltimore a heavily uh black city a great boxing city with a great tradition and uh it was not a surprise not only did they sell out the building nineteen thousand seven hundred thirty-one. You know, I don't know the exact number, but and I was talking to some of the people that were involved with the event. The gate for that fight is going to wind up being around five million dollars, which mm. for a Washington, D.C. kind of fight as a non Vegas fight, non, you know, Staples Center, whatever, crypto arena or or uh, a big New the York garden, fight. The garden. Yeah. Right. I mean, that that's a huge gate for a regular just nor and this was not a mega fight. This was a Tank Davis show. No offense to Hector Garcia. So for them to do that kind of money just on the gate is very, very impressive. So he's a star. Now, you asked me about the atmosphere. I, I actually was disappointed because for a sold-out crowd and, you know, for a very popular local figure, I got to be honest, man, that the atmosphere was not there. I mean, there was moments where it was, like, super exciting. But as a, as a night goes compared to – I could give you a 1,000 fights I've been to where the atmosphere was a million times better. It was a pretty chill crowd other than when they – People got excited when there was a fight in the crowd during the eighth round. of the All right, let's event. get into that. Let's get into that because you made reference to that. It did stop the fight for a little bit or two because they didn't realize, okay, what is going on? Are they near the ring? So they had to stop the, uh, my initial thought was that was publicity seeking, autograph seeking, selfie seeking fans of Dan Rayfield. Is that what that was about? And you had to have your security and your entourage back those people. I was, off? I was on the other side. I was on the other side. So no, I had nothing to do with it. So my understanding from people that were sitting in the area that were there, that witnessed it, that this is knew lower exactly, level. You could see this it is lower. at ringside. This okay. is at, if you're watching on the TV, this is the TV side facing your camera. So it's like, showtime executives and rap stars and movie stars and you know the 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 invited guests and you know the top people uh, the promoters that type of thing who were there in that section meek mill the uh the the, the rap star mm -hmm. got into it with gary russell jr the former featherweight champion <laughs> and his brothers because meek was rooting for tank and the russells for some reason uh, we're rooting against Hank, which makes no sense to me since you think they'd be on his 
on his uh, on his you know fan base because right. they're all you know they're they're all DC area fighters. He's from Baltimore. They're from um, Washington. I'm told there's a lot of jealousy on the Russell side about Tank so-called invading his turf, uh, you know, their turf by coming to D.C. I don't know why the Russells would be upset by that, considering that Gary Russell has never been a big draw, even in his hometown. He couldn't even sell out the MGM National Harbor right across the river in Maryland, which only holds like less than 3,000. Lomachenko uh, sold out that that arena, and, and Gary Russell, in a world title defense of his title, could not sell out that arena, so... Why are you jealous of Tank Davis? Because he's doing a $5 million gate and bringing in almost 20,000 people. In any event, there was words exchanged between the two groups. And, uh, you know, they started to get into it. And, uh, you know, I'm told that, that that Meek was the one that, you know, was was chill and tried to back off and not make it into a big thing. And uh, fortunately, it did not delay the fight for just more than a minute or two. But I have to say, TJ, I've seen fights in crowds at fights I've been to. Of course. I, I searched the, 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 the recesses of my my mind of all the events I have covered through the years, big arenas, small arenas, casinos, little places, big places, whatever. I don't ever remember there being an incident in the crowd that brought the fight to a stop. That's the first time I've ever seen that. So I'm glad that it didn't have an impact on the fight, but it, uh, it made the fight maybe a little more interesting because honestly, the main event as a, as a total boxing match was really not that exciting you jogged my memory just now because i was at a what we would consider club show or house show here in tampa a boxing show not a wrestling show which again nondescript you wouldn't have known the names the names don't matter anymore this is probably 2001 or 2002 god i'm getting old more on that later (laughs) um and sure enough like co-feature fight because our radio station had been a big, big promotional arm for this, helping them sell tickets. So we kind of had some ringside seats behind us at ringside. And this is one of those big ballroom type areas that maybe I would say generously there's 1,500, but it's probably closer to like 1,000 in this ballroom. Behind us, there are about 30 people just rumbling, lower level, throwing chairs, throwing punches. And they had to stop that fight. They stopped the co-feature, sent the fighters to the neutral corner because it it was kind of scary for a minute. Like, okay, how many of them are there behind us that are fighting, that are throwing stuff when we all stood up? So you just jogged me. I've been involved at a lower level at at one of those, but they got everything under control with security cops, got everybody separated and got the fight back going. So let's get back on track uh, here and tank Davis. Why don't we morph it right into his win? How impressed were you? He did get to Hector Luis Garcia who he did not get to him quickly. He provided a pretty good opposition, a pretty good challenge. I I must disclose to you folks. I've been working the NFL this weekend with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers because the fight was so late. I've not seen it in its entirety. I've seen kind of the beginning. I've seen some highlights. So you're much more qualified. You've been there. You covered the whole thing. Give me your assessment, including Garcia pushing it into ladder rounds like we theorized it might. Right, which is why we both hit the over on our bet U.S. pick. Cha-ching. Listen, Tank Davis has never been the fastest starter in the world, and he was even a slower starter than usual the other night. They combined to land like four punches, according to the CompuBox stats, in round one. That is unacceptable. And as I tweeted, um, I've covered thousands of – I've been ringside for thousands of boxing matches. And I don't score every single fight I cover, but I score a lot of them on on paper. And, and if I score a 10-10 round two, three times in a whole year, uh, it might be overestimating. But the first round of that fight last night, I scored that a 10-10 round because there was nothing 
happened. And I actually felt sort of vindicated because later on, I saw my good pal Steve Farhood, the uh, unofficial mm-hmm. Showtime, uh, the scorer for Showtime unofficially. He also had the first round 10 to I 10. saw that. that right. There was ever, if you were going to go to a sanctioning body um, convention and attend a seminar on judging or, or something along those lines, and they were giving in, a, this is what they do at some of these conventions when they have uh, workshops about judging and things. They'll show videos and they'll talk about scenarios. If you were going to show a judging uh, seminar uh, collectively, a, a example of a 10-10 round, you very well may bring in round one of Davis versus Garcia. That is the epitome of a 10-10 round. I don't see how you could score it any other way because nobody did anything. Occurred. I agree with you. They just nobody stared did. at each other and threw a few half-assed jabs and nothing like landed one or two punches, but nothing, you know, even if, if, even if one punch landed and it was a telling shot, you might give it to that guy. But when they're nothing, that's a 10-10 round. So, and Tank didn't throw any punches at all to speak of. Neither did Garcia those first few rounds. Uh, Gar- um, Davis did pick up finally in round four. He started to let his hands go. He started to connect a little bit. I was scoring the fight wide for Tank Davis. I had some people around me that had said, how you have it? And I was like, I got Tank, you know, 5-1 or whatever it was. And they were like, they had the opposite. I'm like, I'm not, no, I mean, I'm, I respect the folks that I'm there with ringside. But uh, I don't see how you could have that fight right. for Garcia. He, he, you know, even when he was landing punches, he wasn't doing any damage. He wasn't throwing combinations. Tank was for, was physically moving him back when he landed. But to me, the biggest difference in this fight is very simple. Tank Davis is a gifted puncher. He has got real, real power in those fists of his, whether he's fighting at 130 pounds or 135 pounds. He's been a devastating puncher mm-hmm. in both weight classes. And uh, those who saw the way the fight ended was just he finally, when he put the combinations together on Garcia, you know, he sent Garcia back to his corner like he couldn't see. He didn't know if he got stopped. He didn't know what happened. That left hand of his, uh, they're both southpaws, but Tank landed just, a, you know, he landed a nice combination late in that eighth round, uh, a right hand and a left to the head. And, and boy, that left hand really messed him up bad. And, uh, you know, Bob Santos is the trainer of Hector Garcia, realized that, he you know, his man was in bad shape. He couldn't see out of his eye. And uh, or he said he couldn't see out of his eye and, and called the fight off. Uh, and, uh, and Garcia even said after the fight he had a headache. And, I mean, that's never a good sign. Obviously, thankfully, he's okay. But uh, it just goes to show you the type of punching power that Tank Davis possesses is legit. Um, again, not an exciting fight at all. I didn't. I was not really overly entertained by that fight. I was very disappointed in that fight. So I want to interject. Ending was pretty, uh, the, the, ending. On, the ending was pretty impressive when you can get a guy out with a punch that didn't even look like a big knockout punch. It's impressive. I understand that. And I wanted to interject. Do you think Davis was trying to load up for the big shot too much and wasn't active <laughs> enough and that contributed to – it taking longer and not being as exciting. Is that a fair assessment? Oh, yeah. Loading up. Well, I don't know if he was loading up. He was just not willing to throw combinations at that time. Now, in his post-fight comments and in his interviews, he spoke about trying to sort of get to Hector Garcia mentally, uh, you know, and make him really think about what he was going to do, what he was, what he was going to do. Uh, but when he gets his hands moving, He's a dangerous, dangerous fighter, as, as as dangerous as it gets in the sport. But there's so many lulls in the activity that if he's in with an opponent that's more active and not fearful, uh, you know, he may find uh, somebody that can to, can get to him also. But so far, he has not faced that opponent. Um, we'll get to this in a minute. Obviously, the victory 
uh, on, on the fight on Saturday night sets him up now for a fight that, again, has been agreed to. There's still paperwork to be done and has to get signed, so it's not, like, official, official. But by all accounts, he said it, uh, and Ryan Garcia tweeted about it. I, I texted with Ryan Garcia earlier today. Okay. Uh, they're ready to go. Both sides say April 15th, let's get it on. Uh, that's a mega fight. Ryan uh, Tank Davis and Ryan Garcia uh, is going to be a big, big event. And uh, his victory helps make that possible because, as we've discussed, Ryan Garcia could have been in a fight come uh, January 28th, but he decided to not take that and just go and, you know, train and, and work on his stuff and, you know, see Tank in April. So now uh, hopefully we'll get that. You know, Tank still has his legal uh, issues that he's got to deal with. Uh, hopefully, you know, I don't know what's going to happen with that, but I want to see the fight and hopefully it, it can get be, be dealt with and he's available to do the boxing match and we'll see it. But, uh, you know, for him, it was good. For Tank Davis, it was good. Get in those rounds against a competent opponent, uh, get paid a ton of money, bring out a huge crowd and, and, uh, and being great. You know, he looked in great shape, Tank Davis, and that's important. He hasn't always been in that situation during his career. He was last night. He looked terrific in terms of, you know, his conditioning. And, and now we got a now we got a big one. It's the biggest fight the tanks ever had. It's going to be the biggest fight that Ryan has ever had, and it's going to be one of the biggest fights in boxing this year. All right, we're looking forward to that one, and hopefully it does all get agreed to as you were making mention of. Okay, so is this the point in time we're gonna we're gonna get to the undercard fights? And there's a little other news uh, here off the weekend, including the Stanionis Virgil Ortiz fight is now postponed at least for a little while because of an appendectomy for Stanionis. We're going to talk more about that. Dan put that story out there on the weekend as well. Um, but can, can we just say, and, and at the risk of, I, I totally get and understand if you're a fight fan, you're locked in. If you bought a ticket, you were there. If you bought the pay-per-view, you're watching, but that thing dragged on and it took so long to get to Davis, Hector Luis Garcia, that I think that's a negative. And Definitely I was, negative. I was in communication with you. You're in the arena. And I said, listen, I have got to work the NFL tomorrow and I have a long day, which we're still part of right now on a Sunday night. And this, this, this thing is going to drag. If it, if it goes beyond a, a round or two, this is going to drag into the 1am hour and beyond for post fight. I said, big fella, you got this. And you hit me back and say, yes, I got this. So you, you can belittle me about old man syndrome here, but how much of a, of the, of the casual sports fan and even a boxing fan was maybe saying this is taking way too long to get to the main event at almost 1am Eastern time to fight the main event. Listen, the main event, I was I was tweeting the exact times of my memory serves me. Uh, the main event, they touched gloves at like 1 a.m. Eastern time. That is not acceptable. You you already have your audience has bought the pay-per-view. Right. No one else is buying it at 1 o'clock in the morning. I don't even think at that time in the event it's still available to purchase, to be quite honest. Uh, I don't understand that. I mean, again, I love the folks at Showtime. They do a great job. We, I've lauded them a million times. I, you know, I've talked how good they do at a lot of different things. The one wibble I would have uh, respectfully towards my, my good friends there, the folks that, that run the show there, uh, that handle the, the timing and the, and the way that they format the show, they come on the air at 9 p.m. Eastern time. Now, I may be off by a couple of minutes, but I, I look for these things. I was looking at my, at, my, at my phone to see what time it was, the little bug in the corner on my laptop. I get that you have to set the show up. I get mm -hmm. that there's a little bit of things you want to show the beauty shots. You want to get, you know, set the stage, set the table, tell people what they're going to see. Maybe there's a quick soundbite. I get all that. I've been covering pay-per-view fights. I've done a lot of television in my own career. I get it. But there's still no reason why the first fight of the night doesn't get to the ring until 925. 
when you start in nine twenty. You don't need twenty five minutes of setup. Give me ten minutes of setup, especially when you know you have four fights and not yes. just three. Because correct, the, that's another variable too to take that long to get to fight um, number one of four. No, I'm happy that they do four fight pay per views, but I have a problem with doing a four fight pay per view. But you don't get round, you know, round one of fight one doesn't start until nine twenty five. That's the first thing. Now, obviously, you can time it out. You always have to account for the fact that all four fights might, might go twelve rounds. But they sometimes take too much time, in my opinion, between fights because they're doing interviews and they're doing video packages, and they gotta, you know, justify their existence in some form or fashion. Uh, and, and, and the pacing was brutal because th this was not what the folks that bought the pay-per-view saw. But if you got, like, I got there for the first fight, as I mentioned. And I'm not claiming, I'm not digging a ditch for a living. So I'll, I'll take it with what it, the spirit, you know, when what I mean it. I'm not complaining about doing what I do. I love the job that I do and I love boxing. But I got there, like, you know, three, five or whatever. Doors where I, you know, I get my credential. First fight's around 4.30 all the preliminaries before Showtime had the stream at 645 for some of the last three fights before the pay-per-view, they were all one-sided whackouts and one eight-round fight where it was a complete shutout. So between mm -hmm. the end of those preliminary fights and the beginning of the paper of the streaming fights, there was like an hour and 10 minutes with nothing happening. And there was a lot of people in the crowd that were just sort of milling around because it was literally nothing going on. Then the stream fights started. Then they ended, and there was another break in the app, and the, you know where people had to wait for the beginning of the pay per view for like another thirty minutes or so. Then the pay per view comes on at nine o'clock. It took another twenty minutes to get the first fight in the ring. That fight goes the distance with Andre. Then they took time between that and the second fight, and it get dragged out, dragged out, dragged out. The one thing, and I don't know if they did this or it was never planned in the first place. There were no anthems. I can only assume that either they just didn't plan to do them in the first place. I assume they would have played. Uh, you know the Star Spangled Banner, and they would have maybe played the 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 uh, the anthem for the Dominican Republic, the home country of Hector Luis right. Garcia. But they did not play anthem. So maybe somebody found some religion and said, "Let's cut the anthems and not worry about them at one o'clock in the morning." Uh, <laughs> what I don't understand is if you bought the pay per view, not everybody's going to stay up till two in the morning right. to watch the fights. So you'd be pissed if you fell asleep, unless you maybe DVR'd it, which is sometimes hard to do on current technology. Uh, and I understand in some cases, promoters purposely try to force a fight a little bit later because they're waiting for a big West Coast audience. Right. You know, in California and Arizona, places like that, it's three hours earlier than it does on the East Coast. In the case of this Tank Davis pay-per-view, I would guarantee, I would be willing to bet you anything that when their totals come in and they know where the buys came from, probably 90% of those buys are East Coast buys. This I'm was an you. East Coast fight. There I'm was no, you. no Mexican fighters on the card. This was East Coast, man. This is Dominican Republic public versus you know baltimore uh you know this is an east coast show boots Dennis is from philadelphia demetrius andre from providence rhode island this is an east coast event and uh nobody in san diego was uh you know worried about you know getting home to get the pay-per-view at the last minute so that's another reason uh, their audience was east coast based falling asleep watching this and that's a real okay. shame all right and we we agree okay on that. I, let me just say this tj yes we're old guys but that pissed me off i, I didn't get home and this is a home game for me I didn't get home until like 3.45 in the morning. Because so the main event started so late and went eight rounds. So I, I, was, it... I still had to finish my story, and I knew you were going to sleep. Yep, and I, I didn't even you. go to the I, – I, I skipped out on the post-fight press conference. And I, you know what? I went on the Showtime 
uh, social media and I watched the post fight press conference this morning because I, I just couldn't stay. I had to get home. And so, uh, again, these are first world problems, but they're also yes. a bigger part of this. If you want excitement, you want to create buzz, you want to introduce some new fans to it. You're you're hurting yourself. And we spent a lot of time on that. All right. So let's move it to the Jerron Ennis fight with Chuck Hadzian, uh, which he won. But was it maybe that they were planning that one was going to go shorter and it was going to get them back on track some? You can't ever guarantee that. But maybe part of the thought process was this is the fight in the co-feature that may only be a two or three round fight, particularly because Ennis in a couple of previous fights had whacked people out quickly. Is that maybe where they got caught up and morph that into your take on Ennis taking 12 rounds and not being able to knock him out? Uh no. And the reason I say it is because the people that put the, the, the formats of an event together, they are well aware that they have to plan that the fights can go the distance. You never know if it's a one round or a 12 round. I mean, they know that they're no matter what had happened in the three fights prior to the tank fight, almost something freaky happened. They're not going to walk the rain event to the ring until about 11 o'clock at the earliest. So they have plenty of videos prepared and they'll do interviews. And I don't even mind that to me, the sweet spot for the main event to go is like between 11 and 11, 15, not 1 a.m. So the fact that Boots went 12 rounds with Chikadze and whether it was one round, three rounds, eight rounds, 10 rounds, 12 rounds was irrelevant to their planning. Um, but in terms of Boots' performance, let's get to the fight itself. This was a fight where a lot of people thought he was going to win easily. Now he won a shutout 100 to 20 to 108 on all three scorecards. But Chikadze, you know, he gave him some looks. He hit him a few times. He gave him some something to think about. Uh, I think Boots was happy to go 12 rounds for the first time in his career. He'd never been past the sixth round in his career. So for a young fighter, uh, it's good when you – I won't say he faced adversity because he won every single round, but he was in a different situation than he had ever been in. He wasn't – you had a guy in front of him who, who took a good shot, who knew what he was doing, who could move well, who wasn't just – he just wasn't getting knocked out. Sometimes the guys just come into the ring, and you're not going to get him out of there. you got to outbox him and just win on points, take your win. You know, win tonight, look good tomorrow, sometimes people will say. And uh, Boots didn't look particularly good, but he got the job done. And for a young fighter who'd never been deep in a fight before at his age, with the types of events and fights that maybe in his near future, again, I didn't enjoy the fight. But from the, if I'm a Boots Ennis guy and I want to see the best for his career, that 12 rounds will pay dividends down the road. It was good. He knows he can do 12 rounds now with no problem. He knows he can deal with that tricky, elusive style. Chikazi moved like, a rabbit in there, lateral movement. And it wasn't like, and I, I didn't feel like sometimes I see certain guys who are very defensive minded and they literally will run. Like I saw, uh, you know, Rigando run at times. I saw back in the day, I'll give you, I'll uh, bring it back to a fight. I saw in Boots' hometown, as a matter of fact, that I was ringing side for when Bernard Hopkins was the champion. He was making a mandatory defense against a French fighter named Arad Hakar, who literally ran around in a circle like he was on a bicycle. This is not what Chikazian did. He used the lateral movement, and he also stopped and threw some punches here and there and caught boots with some shots. So it was a shitty fight, to be sure. But it got the job done for the developmental purposes of the future for Boots Ennis, who gets the win very easily in terms of the scorecards, gets the IBF's interim welterweight title, puts him in the mandatory position to fight for uh, you know, IBF title was held by Errol Spence, who holds two of the other titles also. I'm not sure that Boots will ever get the shot at Spence, but what he will get is either be elevated to the full champion or he'll get a chance to fight Spence. So he's in a great position. There's lots of big fights out here for him in the future. Um, 
I'm just disappointed that it was a non-entertaining fight, uh, despite the fact that it was good for the growth of his career. I really thought, I really, I really thought as the fight were on, Chutkazian was survival mode and just trying to stay away and wasn't doing much offensively. And so it was frustrating for Boots Ennis that he couldn't get him out of there, but we'll we'll see what it leads to. I still believe he is the most talented fighter. I don't know them all. You know him better. I think he's the most talented fighter below, let's say, middleweight that doesn't have a belt yet, that doesn't have, doesn't have a world championship yet because that was an eliminator belt that he got in that one. We'll see what's next for Ennis. We'll see how tough it is for him to get a larger fight with Errol Spence or anybody else at welterweight. That's a whole nother discussion uh, about that one off the win. Okay, previous to that is the Rashidi Ellis and Romain Villa uh, battle which had a dramatic ending. And again, I, I'm just relating to the audience. I got to see a good portion of that, including the dramatic 12th round. You were in the arena. You were ringside. You're more qualified. You used the word robbed, or we was robbed on picking Ellis uh, earlier. You really believe he was way ahead, and even a potential 10-7 final round should not have been enough to cost him that decision. I agree with that. Uh, to me, uh, Rashidi Ellis dominated, like, most of the fight. So I think I forget, I don't have my scorecard in front of me, but I thought that Rashidi Ellis probably won like quite literally like the first eight rounds of the fight and was up eight rounds. Now you may, there was a couple people around, I think that might've given uh, Villa one of the earlier rounds of the fight, which could then change your score. But if you, if you go on the, on the notion that, that Ellis was in total control through those first number of rounds, and then Via definitely came on. He had a big ninth round, 10th round, maybe 11th. He might have won the last four rounds. He obviously got a 10-7 round uh, in the 12th. So I still had, even with the 10-7 round, and even with the, a couple of those other clear rounds in the last uh, part of the fight, still thought that Ellis uh, was ahead enough that he wasn't going to lose on the cards and probably should have been the rightful winner you know, by one or two points. As it turned out, two judges had the fight 114 to 112 for Via, which based on the fact that he got two knockdowns, meaning a 10-7 round in the final round, those knockdowns are what created the margin of victory for him on those two winning cards. The third judge had the fight 113-113, so it winds up a majority decision for Via, who unexpectedly uh, wins that fight. It was an IBF welterweight uh, elimination fight, which will put the winner behind Boots Ennis in the line for a title shot for that belt, but you know, at the front of the line besides Boots Ennis. Um, and it, again, it wasn't a particularly good fight until V decided to really get going there in those last few rounds. Uh, Ellis did a really masterful job of boxing him and and uh, frustrating him and, and limiting him to like one punch at a time and avoiding the big shots. But, you know, he finally got to him. And, you know, you, you, whatever you think of the decision, you got to give Via the credit for not being frustrated and and throwing in the towel because he, he was losing so badly, it seemed, uh, those early rounds to keep on trucking and get those knockdowns and really change around his career i thought ellis got tired i thought ellis was getting hit more 10th round 11th round and it made it dramatic in the arena ringside this is why we love your insight did you think there was a chance this was getting stopped especially after the second and i thought the second knockdown was kind of questionable on was it really a knockdown was it really a punch was yeah. it as much slip did you think this is possibly getting stopped. There's enough time where Villa can get the dramatic TKO late in the fight. When he went down in the 12th round for the first time, he was definitely hurt. When he got up, you know, you know, he was a little shaky. The referee, I thought, made the right decision to allow the fight to go on. But all I could think about was it's like beat the clock. It was like 
I'm not on the same level of a drama or importance, but think of like Chavez versus Meldrick Taylor. You know, the, the, the great line from Larry Merchant, if he gets up, he probably wins the fight. And then, of course, right. Richard Steele stops the fight. I remember a fight I covered years ago at the Madison Square Garden Theater. It was a uh, featherweight, uh, I believe a featherweight or a junior featherweight title fight between um, uh, Lopez and Rogers Matagua. And, and, and Matagua, who was a journeyman kind of record, and he had Lopez really, really out in big, big trouble. But he was still... Uh, he still had his mind together enough where he kept looking at the big screen in the corner because it had the clock on there to tell you how much time was left. And it was all, can I get to the end of the fight? Can I make it to the end of the right. fight? If I make it to the end of the fight, I'm going to win because he was so far ahead uh, that there was no way he was going to lose. And he was looking, you could, you, I was sitting three feet from the ring and I can remember him looking, turning his head in the middle of the round after they, you know, uh, resumed it after he got dropped. Uh, 40 seconds, 30 seconds. Can I get to the fucking end of the fight? I'm, I'm, it was like getting, you see like uh, people at the end of a marathon where they get dragged over the finish line. Yes. I mean, it was like, that was exactly the thing I kept thinking about with Rashidi Ellis. Uh, those types of examples when he got up from the first knockdown, can he survive the last, I think it was about a minute and 10 seconds or something like that. Can I get to the end? Can I just get to the end of the fight? And he did get to the end of the fight. He got dropped again in the final moments. He still beat the count. I thought it was a legitimate knockdown. And I still thought even with that second knockdown, he did enough to get the victory on the cards. Uh, and But that's boxing. That's the way it goes. I, I, I don't, when I say we were robbed, I was sort of being sarcastic about our right. U.S. I, I don't think it was like the worst robbery I've ever seen. I, I won't even call it a robbery. It, it, it was that if you had just given Via maybe one other fight early in the round, which is conceivable, then yes, you could have him winning. I personally didn't agree with that, but I can't sit here and say it was the worst decision I ever saw. But if you're watching the fight and you're not scoring the fight, which is how you should score fights, the drama of the event was via storming back and getting two knockdowns. So how could you be that shocked that he got the victory? So uh, first loss in the career of Rashidi Ellis, uh, big win, by far the biggest win for Romain Villa. One thing you should know, by the way, and I've said this before, I don't know if it was on this uh, show or on you have, the US you show. have. If you're in the boxing ring and Samson Lukowitz is standing behind you, you know you're in for a tough fucking fight because Samson does not bring fighters to the United States to lay down. The guys he brings can fucking yep. fight. He found Sergio Martinez. He mm -hmm. brought Manny Pacquiao here. He did it with a lot of different guys. He's got Romine via Samson Lukowitz. I'm giving him the shout out. I've been voting for him for the Hall of Fame, not because he's a nice guy and because I like him a lot, not because he's a, a, a boxing lifer through and through, but because this man knows boxing talent and can mine it and knows it as well as anybody i have ever met in all the years i've been around doing this and he, it's easy to go out there and try to sign if you've got money the guys that win the gold medals in the olympics and the top amateurs it's the guys like sam and lukowitz who don't bring the guys with the gold medals who unearth guys in small tournaments or lower down on the on the scale in the amateurs or even a guy that might have not have amateurs who finds a guy somewhere in the you know, in, in South America, like he found Sergio in Argentina or a guy from the Philippines or fighters from the Dominican Republic. I mean, this is a guy who has done this time and time and time again. And I'm not saying V is a Hall of Famer, but he's shown himself now to be a, a contender in this weight class. And he's a guy that Samson found, brought here, got him a win on Showbox against Boca Chica, an undefeated fighter uh, back in his last fight, and now steps him up into this fight with uh, Rashidi Ellis, you know, had him ranked by the IBF. 
and he just scores a huge victory. So again, memo to all you other promoters out there and matchmakers. If Samson Lukowitz has got the guy you're trying to match, you better be fucking careful. Yep. And we had talked about this in the buildup and on the Bet US show. Via had fought in other places besides uh, in Colombia. He had fought in Mexico. He had fought in Puerto Rico. He had fought in Argentina and won all these places before he beat Boca Chica in Atlantic City. So, uh, again, uh, credit on all of that. Uh, all right, real quick, wrap the card. Demetrius Andre also victorious. He, he had a near uh, shutout performance. And he has uh, anything else from the card, Andre? Uh, Vito Malinecki. Well, we got to talk, talk about Andre a little bit. I mean, yeah. Andre's a two weight world champion. He's now with PBC. Yep. He was taken. He was moving up uh, in weight from 160 to 168, coming off a 14 month playoff, coming off a, a bad shoulder injury, coming off, uh, you know, uh, the end of his contract with matchroom boxing. Not sure where his career was going. Signs up with PBC. His goal is to land the bigger fights there, which would mean against the likes of a Kayla Plant, a David Benavides. He's been desperate for Charlotte to come up from 160, which he will do at some point. Perhaps at some point he would match up maybe against uh, David Morell, who was also with PBC, who has the WBA's second-tier title uh, in that weight class. you got to start somewhere. So part of that deal was let's get the rust off. Let's get a fight with a with a not a world-class guy. I mean, not, I shouldn't say world-class, but not a world-beater in Damon Nicholson, but a guy that can handle himself, a guy that's fought some guys, a guy that's, uh, you know, got can a take hard a punch, head. can take a punch, take a punch. Absolutely. So he went in there and, and Demetrius, listen, I think that was about as entertaining a fight to wrap on Demetrius is he's not exciting and he doesn't do this. He doesn't do that. He went in there and he won every round. Uh, he had his opponent on the floor. Um, you know, he, he did a good job. He, he, you know, there was a little bit of a lull there in the second half of the fight, but he had, he had made it exciting early on. He went right to him at the beginning of the first, uh, you know, in the first uh, round, but he did score two knockdowns. And I have said to you again, he may not get a ton of knockouts, but if you go and look down the, the ledger of Demetrius Andre, there have been fights where he has gotten knockouts, but even if he doesn't, it's one fight after another. He always is getting guys knocked down. And this was another example of that. Now, people should know about Nicholson. He's the guy that went the round, went the eight-round distance and took Edgar Berlanga uh, the distance and even out of the first round for the first time after he had scored like 15 or 16 consecutive first round knockouts. So uh, obviously uh, Demetrius moving up in weight is not the level of a puncher of an Edgar Berlanga, but he still scored two knockdowns against uh, Demond Nichols. And he, and he, I thought he looked very good. It was, you know, if, if you didn't know who Demetrius Andre was before that fight, you would not come away from that fight going, Oh my God, that guy's so boring. I never want to see him again. Look, he, he, he's, he threw a lot of punches. He scored two knockdowns. He made it exciting for the first, uh, you know, six or seven rounds of the fight. He got hit a little bit also. So, you know, because he's now 34, he doesn't maybe move as well as he once did. He's a little bit more vulnerable right now. So, you know, I just hope that that off that win, and now he's with the right connections with PBC, I hope that Demetrius gets a good quality fight. Uh, he's a good guy. He deserves it. Uh, he's got a good personality. He, you know, he's a hell of a fighter. He's still undefeated. He's been a champion. He's been an Olympian. He's been an amateur world champion. I mean, what's the guy got to do now? He's with the right people to get him in that weight class. A good fight. He deserves it at this point. All right. Are we good on that? Anything else from the well, card? I think we're good. We pretty well covered. Well, you mentioned Vito Milnicki, but I've got yep. really nothing to say about that mismatch, that waste of time. What I would like to talk about for a minute is the, un, you know, again, this was not seen by everybody because it wasn't on the stream. It wasn't on television. It was just one of the preliminary fights. It hurt my heart to watch Lamont Peterson, a guy who I mm. covered for so many years, who was a, a very good fighter. Uh, one of the top welterweights and junior welterweights of his time, fought everybody, uh, come out of retirement after almost four years in front of his hometown in Washington, D.C., buried on the undercard in a six-rounder against a 16-and-16 16 16 opponent, 
when the arena was not full, uh, but I was there watching. And at age 38, for no apparent reason, end his retirement, get knocked out for the third time in a row, and get absolutely destroyed by this 16 and 16 guy. And it, it just was – there is a clip uh, somebody posted on Twitter where they have like the last 45 or 50 seconds of the fight. But it just uh, – it, it reminded me of the old saying that I've heard people before me saying, I'm going to reiterate it. In boxing, they don't give you a gold watch when you retire. If you come back, they give you a beating. And that's what he did. Lamont Peterson did not get a gold watch. He got a beating. It was unbelievable to me that he came out of retirement and got his ass beat so bad like do that. You blame and it was more, sad to see. Do you blame the people around him? Do you blame more maybe the commission and others that should have looked at it and said, it's been four years, you're 38? What, uh, where does the mo majority of the blame? Is it the people around him that maybe should have said, Lamont, you don't have to do this? Lamont, what are you well, doing? Yeah, I mean, obviously, the, the commission really could not license him. I mean, he passes tests. He's obviously was a top professional a long time. He's not fighting uh, a guy that he'd be out of his depths with, who, you mm -hmm. know, based on the record of 16 and 16, who also is not exactly a world beater and hadn't fought for a while. Uh, so I don't, I don't blame any blame on the commission. But, uh, you know, and, and the people around him, I don't know what they said to him or what they didn't say to him, but at the end of the day, Lamont Peterson is a grown man. He's 30 years old. He can make his own decisions. He decided to come back. One thing I did notice that was very conspicuous, and I don't know what the reason was, and I don't know if this is a recent development, but if you follow the career paths of uh, Lamont Peterson, uh, the one of the biggest things about that career was, you know, the story is the story. Him and his brother, Anthony, were homeless on the streets of Washington, D.C., you know, getting into a life of crime. They found boxing. They were brought in, not just as boxers, but basically as family, as children that were now living with them. Uh, parents, by every definition other than the blood, by Barry Hunter, the great trainer from D.C. that has saved any number of kids off the streets of D.C. Uh, and his wife. They took him into their home, and he became their father figure, their father in essence, and trainer, and has been with them forever. And he's not with Lamont last night. And I don't know what happened with them. And it was just sad to see there you go. come into that fight. And uh, you just told me a lot right there. I mean, know? by saying that, you told me a lot. And hopefully, uh, I'm, I'm with you. Hopefully, there will be others around him that will say, you don't have to do this anymore. In but particular the thing is, TJ, this was a guy, and I, I can't impress this on anybody enough. He was the franchise of Washington boxing during right, his heyday. Right. Uh, at a time but when now he's that, fighting a six round undercard fight with no one watching, not on TV, and taking the beating. I get and what you're saying. And that's a long way. I get, from being I get what you're saying. The main event with 10,000 people at the convention center in a unification fight against Amir Khan, uh, you know, a number of years ago. So, you know, maybe I'm just dating myself, but it, 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 it look, I like Lamont. I, I mean, he, he didn't have a perfect career, he had his, his own issues with, with uh, you know, a PD situation that caused a rematch with Khan to get canceled. Uh, whatever, I thought he got, a, frankly, a gift with some help from the referee in that first fight with Khan that did happen. But the bottom line was he's a good guy, and it hurt my heart to watch him get his ass kicked like that. All right, so good good stuff on all that. Read Dan Moore off his Substack at BigFightWeekend.com, recapping the fights if you want to read more about it. Uh, you also had the story on Saturday about uh, Stanionis and Virgil Ortiz is at least shelved for a little bit, maybe a month delay. Give us the details. You found out about this appendectomy for Stanionis, who uh, is the number one contender. This would have been an eliminator fight against Ortiz, an intriguing fight, and it's on the shelf. Well, Stanionis has got the WBA's secondary title, so it was more than an eliminator. Right. But more importantly than that, it was a matchup between uh, – and by the way, Stanionis, as the, as the uh, regular title holder, 
was supposed to fight Virgil Ortiz, who is the mandatory. So for all the look, we can sit here and, and believe me, I'm the I'm number one on this food chain of ripping the WBA for these ridiculous extra titles. I've been doing it for years. In this particular instance, that extraneous bullshit title facilitated this fight because without Stanley Onis having the WBA regular title and being mandated to fight Virgil Ortiz, who wants to have that belt also, this fight would not happen. So in a in a backhanded kind of way, that that bullshit title is what what made this fight possible. But it was scheduled for March 18th. It was going to be in the Dallas area, which is Virgil Ortiz's hometown, Golden Boy, which is his promoter, had won the purse bid against the uh, Staniona side of the street. And uh, the fight hadn't even been officially announced yet, but we'd all been told about it. I'd written about it. Others have written about it. March 18th on the on the calendar, on the zone. Great main event. Exciting fight. Undefeated guys, maybe not even yet in their prime, just a real good, good matchup between prime young guys, uh, something that we don't get enough of in boxing. One of the first fights on the calendar for 2023 where you really look at it and say, hey, I have to make sure I'm home or in front of my device watching that live because I don't want to miss it because it's got the chance to be so good, B, meaningful, C, uh, the most evenly matched fight on the calendar so far this year, and you know, probably will be action-packed. Uh, unfortunately, I mean, you know, these things happen. Uh, he had to have an emergency appendectomy. He can't, you know, it's not going to go in the ring and take body shots after an appendectomy. So he's going to have to have a few weeks to recover and then get back into the camp. Shelly Finkel, who was the manager for Stanionis, who I spoke to about this, said, again, this is nothing official. They hope that they can have the fight rescheduled in the month of April. That remains to be seen because it ain't just as easy as snap your fingers and say, find a Saturday night and let's do it. They got to line it up with the zone. They got to line it up with the venue. They got to make sure it's good for their guy. They got to be okay with Virgil Ortiz. Uh, they have to clear it with the network. You don't want to go up against some other uh, big event. I don't, you know, obviously the dates are filling in as the year progresses. Uh, but look, they're still under the purse bid rules. The contract is still there. They signed the deal. Those agreements have a language for delays because of injuries. So I'm um, optimistic that, uh, you know, when they figure all that stuff out, that we'll see this fight. It's just going to get put off. But it's starting off the year, TJ, like a dumpster fire, like it ended last year, because we've already had now three postponements. You have the postponement of this fight. Yep. You have the postponement. Again, not a huge fight, but uh, John Pascal came down with COVID. That was a fight that was in February that was going to be on ESPN Plus in his uh, elimination fight against Michael Eifert from uh, from Germany. And then you also had another uh, big Charlo delay. Charlo and Tim Zhu. That's exactly what I was going to say. With the, yeah. with the broken hand, that fight's off now for a few months. So we were, we're, we were like, what, less than one week into 2023 and already three notable fights I've already been put on the shelf. So hopefully it's, uh, you know, it's turned the first quarter into show, uh, much like the fourth quarter of the end of 2022 was. Hopefully they'll, uh, everybody will get things straightened out and we'll, we'll get a little bit better as we go on. Let's hope so. Another quick item off the weekend. You have found out about Bam Rodriguez and a vacant WBO flyweight title fight. Give me the details. What have you found out here real quick? Well, that fight was ordered. Remember Bam, of course, was the, uh, he had the, the uh, one of the titles, the WBC title in the, in the uh, junior in the junior bantamweight division, he uh, won that title last year. Made himself into a candidate for fighter of the year. Uh, uh, defended the title a couple of times. Uh, had a great year, but then you know all along had said he wanted to move down in weight, and so he gave up that title and he was going down to the flyweight division. They got it worked out at the WBO convention that he would be eligible to fight for uh, the vacant title because the Japanese fighter Nakatani was going to move up to they were basically swapping weight classes one guy was coming down one guy was going up so that title was vacant and so at the convention that the wbo had not that long ago they ordered bam rodriguez to take on 
uh, Christian Gonzalez for that title. So the fact that the fight is happening is not in any way a surprise. But now, uh, from what I am told by people involved in this event, it will be on April 8th. It will take place in uh, BAM's hometown of San Antonio. And uh, they will fight for that vacant WBO flyweight title. And it looks like a good matchup on paper. Bam is 17-0. and 0. Uh, When he won the title at 115 pounds at age 22, he was the youngest active title holder in the sport. Gonzalez just has the one loss. He's a Mexican fighter. He's won nine fights in a row, but he's taken a step up in his competition. Uh, but it's good. Bam getting back in the ring. He's a very exciting fighter. Had a hell of a year in uh, 2022. He was a top candidate for fighter of the year. Some people gave it to him and, you know, that make those picks. Uh and it's just a, just a nice uh, a nice thing to see a great city like San Antonio have a hometown champion uh, in a in a significant fight, and uh, I'm looking forward to that. All right, and with that, I think we pretty well covered everything off the weekend, news items included. Anything else? Anything else that we left out? Are you good? I think, I think we're good. Now, think... now we're getting back on the regular schedule. We got a card yes. coming up on uh, Saturday the 14th, the first top ranked ESPN card. Yes. Heavyweights, big boys in action. Effie Ajagba against Stefan Shaw in the main event. Guido Vianello, uh, the uh, Italian Olympian in the co-feature, taking on Johnny Rice. And, uh, you know, not the biggest card in the world, but if you like heavyweights, I'm down for it. Got some prospects on the undercard, and now we're back in the groove of the we uh, go. Uh, 2023. So, again, we'll come back in with a preview of that and a recap off the weekend in our in our routine here in 2023. Uh, make sure you're reading Dan's Fight Freaks Unite Substack, bigfightweekend.com. Other than that, great stuff this weekend. Great stuff on the podcast here, as always. Make sure you're following or subscribing. Uh, but great stuff from Dan, who was there at the Capital One Arena in Washington, D.C. Anything in closing as we wrap it up? Well, we good. The only thing I have to say in closing, TJ, is I don't know if I can deal with another postponement or cancellation if it happens in the next couple of days. Everybody just ease off on your postponement announcements, please. The good news is I'm here for you. And the good news is we got a lot of fights the rest of this month. So we got a lot to mix up and talk about. And thank you to the audience that's been finding us uh, here on the podcast in recent weeks and in the last couple of months of 2022 because the audience has grown. Keep it up. Keep it up. Keep sharing. Keep following. Keep subscribing. Find us on BigFightWeekend.com. Find us on Dad's Substack. Find us on social media as well. With that, we're good. Dan, have a good week. We'll talk to you on the Big Fight Weekend preview, my friend. Sounds good, TJ. Appreciate it. Talk to you later. I am merely TJ Reeves. Off the weekend here with Fight Freaks Unite. We'll talk to you later in the week. Bye.